You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Go Wild. Now, the Go Wild app has added some really cool and exciting functionality to their app. And the first one I want to talk about is the Near Me function. And basically what this does, it allows you to engage and connect with people in your area. You guys can talk about gear. You guys can talk about hunting areas. You guys can talk about what's going on in the woods. And it just allows the user to be more of a community and connect easier. The second part is the gearbox. And what the gearbox is, it is a an opportunity for the users to not only see reviews on products and see what the Go Wild community is using in the field, what products they're using, but it also allows you guys to purchase up to 150,000 products. There's you, there's a shopping function on it. So check out the Go Wild app. If you haven't downloaded it to your phone yet, you need to, and you can do that at any app store that is currently available. Go Wild. It's an awesome app. Check them out. Welcome to the Transition Wild Podcast, brought to you by Expedition Archery. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode number 72, where I talk elk hunting wisdom with Cody Rich. Hello, and thanks again for tuning into the Transition Wild Podcast, your source for everything Western big game hunting. I appreciate you tuning in. I cannot believe it is already almost September. Here it's the end of August. I'm sitting here behind the microphone, and I'm just a week or so away from actually getting up in the mountains myself. This is my first year chasing archery mule deer in Colorado, and and I cannot wait. I actually got up there a couple weeks ago, did some scouting, put some boots on the ground, got eyes on a lot of good deer, drove the unit, learned the country. So I'm excited. I, I, I cannot wait. It's, I'm not elk hunting, this this year which is kind of a bummer or at least for for archery i'm putting all my eggs in the basket of of mule deer and kind of wanted to put all my efforts and focus around that and you know hopefully good things will come so i'm looking forward to giving you guys some updates after i've i've finished that hunt if you guys are on your way out to colorado or anywhere in the west and you're chasing elk and and deer i i I hope I hope the best for you, and I, I wish you much much success. It's it's an exciting time of year, and if you do have a good story or you know a good outcome, and you got a bull or a buck down, and and you'd like to do something with the podcast and talk about it, shoot me an email, Adam at transitionwild.com, or hit me up on Facebook or Instagram. I'd love to talk about it. That stuff's really cool, and I enjoy hearing about people's first bull or first buck and you know public land DIY stuff that's that's a lot of fun so definitely reach out and again best of luck in in 2020 all right my guest today is Cody Rich he's he's a really great guy i've known Cody for a few years now and and if you guys don't know or haven't heard of it before he's got a podcast called the Rich Outdoors podcast he does a really great weekly podcast on elk. It's called Wapiti Wednesday, and he has just some great guests on there from, you know, these guys are next-level dudes like Paul Medell, uh, who, who am I else am I talking about? South Cox, I mean, that, that guy's awesome as well. But he, he has these guys on there, and, and, and so 
he, he knows a lot of information just from those guys, but Cody's also a really accomplished elk hunter himself and got a number of good bulls underneath his belt. And he's been in the game for a long time and, and really knows the stuff. So I, I titled this podcast like elk hunting wisdom because it, it really is that it's, it's listening to somebody and, and, and hearing advice and you know common mistakes and how to think outside the box and how to maybe avoid pressure and just a lot of good stuff and we talked some strategy and and a a number of different topics this was a really fun episode a lot of good information should get you pumped up for elk season so let's not wait any longer let's get cody rich on the line before we begin today's episode is brought to you by expedition archery manufacturer of the world's finest archery experience. Expedition bows combine aerospace level quality, innovative designs, and a fluid feel serious hunters demand. Test drive one today at your nearest archery retailer and view their full lineup at expeditionarchery.com. Why settle for status quo when opportunity and adventure awaits? Make your next hunt an expedition. All right, on the line with us now, Cody Rich from the Rich Outdoors podcast. How you doing, Cody? Yeah, pretty good, man. How about yourself? Doing well, doing well. How's uh, how's everything up in Montana so far this summer? You got a 400-inch bull strapped to a tree or what? <laughs> Everyone keeps asking me that, and I, I really <laughs> legitimately don't know of a shooter right now. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's been a crazy year. Um, I uh, have gotten... I would say more scouting than most, but less than I wanted. Uh, like it's every every year, it gets busy and and season sneaks up on you. Like I I leave here in a week, um, head to New Mexico, and so uh, I was hoping to get one more scout trip in this week, but that didn't happen. Uh, so you know, I don't know. I'm feeling I'm feeling good, but also I you know I swore I was going to scout more this year. I was going to have it dialed this year, and and as things <laughs> would happen, that never happens. I mean, we all know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then 2020 happened, and it's just, yeah. been a, you know, everything's out the window at that point. I know, man. It's been crazy. So, I mean, I, I yeah, I can't complain to some, you know, I, I feel, I feel, it feels wrong to complain because I know there's a lot of people <laughs> that didn't get any scouting in that, you know, don't know what their plans are, or, you know, I'm sure there's lots of people. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I can't complain, but it's been, it's been a fast summer, I'll tell you that. Like, yeah. I know. Yeah. I've only, I've got a mule deer hunt coming up here for Colorado and archery season. And I've only been out there one time, uh, which absolutely sucks, but you know, (laughs) whatever. I mean, you got to play for the day, you know, a lot of times. And if you kind of know the general areas, you know, uh, you can only do so much on public land anyways. So uh, I'm sure. And like everything changes and it's like, we all want to scout. And I, I mean, I've been like, really good at just making it up as i go for yeah. most of the hunts i do mm-hmm. and so even this year you know i got a bunch of elk hunts and it's like i would look at some of like you know what truth be told i'm not gonna get to scout that i should scout this because <laughs> that's a priority and like i'll i'll fi- i'll figure that out when i get there yeah well it sounds like you got a new mexico hunt too have you made a trip down there at all or is that just gonna be no go I mean, at it's it. just like too yeah. far to go for that yeah. um and we're realistically we have a few days with an outfitter so i mean it's not something i would scout anyway yeah but um yeah i, I mean he's got the crap out of it uh, i feel pretty confident in my plans um and we're going down so i go down i get down there saturday and we season doesn't open up till tuesday or wednesday so we have a oh, couple wow. days on the front end um to really scout stuff out get a feel for it um and you know just kind of figure it out and i would honestly like 
when it comes down to it, if I was going to Colorado even, I would rather have you know, two days before season or more days even on the season than I would like, okay, let's take three days and go for a scout weekend in July. In July. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 100% agree. Yeah, I I uh I I think you, you got a good move there. Um in New Mexico. Have you have you hunted New Mexico? That's like a dream state for me. I need to get on that at some point, but have you hunted yeah. there before? Yeah, I've hunted down there a few times. Um and honestly, I, well, I've never really hunted a great unit down there. So, uh, you know, my my perspective of New Mexico has been like just opportunity hunts. Let's yeah. call it that. You know, like <laughs> not, not super great hunts, but I've uh, been down there two or three times and uh, you know, I, I like New Mexico. It's totally different. Uh, I'm really excited. We have a really good tag this year. I don't have a tag. Uh, one of my Patreons drew a tag, so we're kind of going down there. Um, oh, nice. So I'm just, I'm basically going along. Um, but he drew an awesome tag, and uh, and so like I'm I'm really pumped just to go to get to see <laughs> giants. Like, man, even if I don't have a tag, like I'm always stoked to see a giant bull elk. So I'm oh, pretty pumped about it. Yeah, yeah, it, you know. And- kind of takes the pressure off and you kind of just get to enjoy, you know, the calling and, you know, the, yeah, totally. the, yeah. the hunt, you know, I mean, obviously I'd, I'd love to have that tag in my pocket too, but <laughs> just being on a part of that has got to be, that's going to be pretty amazing. Are you going to, are you guys going to do any filming at all or just, just go for it? Yeah, I'll probably film some, film some of it myself. Um, just, uh, you know, we're not, not taking a film person down per se. Um, but you know, we'll probably shoot some of it for the moment or whatever. It is in the wilderness. So, uh, oh, it's kind of tough yeah. for permitting and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, nothing special for sure. Yeah. Not making a film out of it, but I don't know that a part of me is like, that takes the pressure off too. It's like, I'm not, I don't have to have the pressure of being a shooter. <laughs> I don't have the pressure of producing some great film or whatever. So I just, let's go have fun and go experience a really, really cool country. That's going to be so neat. Uh, so obviously you're going to be hunting Montana, any other states lined up for this fall? Yeah, man. Um, I have, if you can share, yeah, I don't want to divulge your secrets. No, I got like six elk hunts. Um, (laughs) three of which I have tags for. So there's a lot of me kind of going with friends and stuff like that. But, um, yeah. So, I mean, uh, September is pretty booked. I got three elk hunts in September. So I go to New Mexico, come back, I'll hunt Wyoming or hunt Montana. And then if I have time, um, if Montana goes well, then I'll go to New Wyoming, I have Wyoming tag as well. Sweet. Um, but if it doesn't, then that's fine. Uh, and then I think, yeah, I go to Idaho. Um, I have a deer tag in Idaho, but my friends are all going uh, elk hunting. So it's one of those friends or one of those hunts. I'm going with some old time friends and and just get it go hang out with those guys. And I wanted to get an elk tag, uh, but I actually drew another elk tag. So uh, for Idaho, so I didn't and there's no leftover. So I never got to get the elk tag for the one this hunt that I'm going on with some friends. Uh, so we're going on elk hunt, but I'll have a deer tag, uh, which is kind of ironic for me. But uh, <laughs> and then. Uh, yeah, I think we I got a rifle hunt in Montana with some friends as well. Another pack trip. So quite a few pack trips. Um, yeah, all kinds of good Man, stuff this year. Jam-packed yeah, fall. I'm glad we fit this podcast in now because <laughs> I wouldn't be able to get you dude, on the yeah. radar for about it's three like months. <laughs> the next 30 days, I'm peacing out and hopefully peacing out and just <laughs> some time in the woods. Hey, it's much needed, especially after how everything's been going the first half of 2020. Uh, so uh, that's awesome, man. Looking forward to seeing the posts and the updates and following along, man. That sounds like a, a great lineup for the for September year, and the rest of the year. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, so have you always lived in Montana or did you grow up 
somewhere else? Where what's that background look like? So I actually originally grew up. Um, I kind of started elk hunting in Oregon. Um, okay. So yeah, I grew up in Oregon on on the coast, kind of kind of on the coast. Uh, but we hunted the coast range a lot, and so my family had a farm uh, in the Willamette Valley, and uh, so I ended up in Oregon or started out in Oregon. I uh, grew up there all my life, and, and man, since I could remember, was obsessed with elk hunting. Uh, my dad was really into elk hunting, um, so, you know, I just drooled over Bugle magazines as a kid. Yeah. Uh, got my first elk call and started doing archery. I was probably seven or eight-ish, and uh, spent most of my time hanging out in the bow shop, shooting bows, and, you know, look at big elk on the wall and watching hunting videos and, you know, not much has changed, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah some things never change, but <laughs> yeah, I was kind of always obsessed with elk. And then, um, actually my cousins, uh, a lot of my, I had some older cousins that were into archery elk hunting and, uh, they kind of pushed me in that direction and man started uh, hunting elk with a bow when I was 13 or 14 and, and, uh, I've made a lot of mistakes. And since then, <laughs> What's that like hunting in like kind of, I mean, that's, that's pretty much like rainforest. I mean, really thick jungle from what I've heard. I've chased yeah. rosies. I mean, it, how does that compare to Montana? I mean, was that a lot more difficult? I mean, obviously you were younger and less experienced, but just that terrain, it's, it's gotta be pretty tough, huh? No, I mean, it's, it's a love hate relationship for sure. Um, uh, you know, I'll never forget one of the first elk, um, my cousin and I, we, we hunted, we were in the coast range and we got on a bugling bowl and moved in. And I bet we were, I still remember it to this day, but I bet we were probably 10 yards from this elk and I never even saw him. Like he was screaming <laughs> his face off bugling and he was 10 yards away. Yeah. And like it wasn't even like a, Oh, I didn't get a shot. I didn't even see a hoof or an antler. <laughs> like he was, crazy. it was that thick. Um, it, but I mean, that's all I knew, you know? So like growing up, it, that's what we did. Like we bugled it out because you couldn't see them. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to cut your teeth on that. And then, you know, eventually we, you get a little bit older, you start hunting Eastern Oregon and, and that's, I would say similar to Montana and different in, in other ways, but it's like, you're hunting Rockies, yeah. um, you're hunting, you know, open country, stuff like that. And, um, I, I started probably hunting Eastern Oregon, I mean, probably senior in high school into college, you know, and that was when I first started venturing out. And then I started hunting Idaho a few years, years later. And, you know, eventually it kind of just grew from there and he's kind of expanding. And at the end of the day, you know, elk or elk, um, they have little nuances between New Mexico and Montana and, you know, coastal Oregon. But I, I love chasing elk no matter where, yeah. where they are. And even in Montana, you know, like I, I came to Montana and when I first started hunting Montana, I wanted to hunt the thick stuff because no one else was like, it seemed, yeah, that's what you knew. Mentor. Yeah. That's yeah. what I knew. Like I was comfortable there and you know, there's pros and cons to it. Um, and then eventually you start to, you know, move more towards open country. And I think, you know, these days I hunt a lot more open country than I do thick country. Okay. Uh, I, and that's not like, because the hunting is better. You know, maybe I think it's easier to target big bulls um, if you're into that in open country. Uh, yeah, I just think you have a higher likelihood. Yeah, in open them, country, you know. Yeah, yeah, find them and just knowing what you're looking at and making a play. It's, it's you know, it's different hunting, and I get it. Like, there's guys that are hardcore call. Like, the only way they want to kill an elk is if they bugle it into their face. And to some extent, like, I really enjoy that. But it's you know, for me, it's. I don't know. Um, new challenges. Yeah. You know, 
trying to figure out different ways to do it. Yeah, hundred percent. And I want to get into all that here uh, in the podcast and really talk about yeah. you know just some elk stuff and you know we'll talk some strategy and you know kind of get your take on some things. Um, but before we dive into that, how how did you end up in uh, Montana or why why did you end up uh, you're in Bozeman, right? Yeah. So, um, I mean, a lot of people think it was me. Um, it was some, some, <laughs> got me dragged there my, by a woman, my, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, it was worse. <laughs> I always say like, I wanted to go to Alaska. I settled on Montana. Um, uh, but, uh, the reality was like when I was, it was, I was probably senior somewhere in there. One of my mentors, bow hunting mentors, a uh, neighbor of mine, he got diagnosed with melanoma cancer and ended up you know, hey, you always wanted to be a guide. So he went and did the guide thing for quite a while. Uh, always wanted to move to Montana. He basically, you know, picked up his life and, and did all the things he wanted to do, which I really respected. And so I spent a lot of time coming back and forth to Montana uh, and just, you know, loved it. Absolutely loved it. I always thought I'd be here. Um, and kind of was like one of those pipe dreams where it was like, yeah, someday, someday I'll move to Montana. And I specifically remember being on a hunt in Montana as I hunted here for quite a bit. And I was with my buddies and I was like, why don't I live here? Like, <laughs> I really don't have a reason not to. There's nothing really tying me down. Um, and so uh, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, uh, we were like, well, let's just go to Montana um, and see. You know, and she had always wanted to move to Montana. And so, and there's like some other stuff. She was looking at med schools. And for me, it was like, yeah, there's no way. There's like three med schools in the country that I would move to because they don't have elk hunting near any of them. Uh, so, uh, Montana was a big contender for that. And so that, that played a lot into it. Okay. Uh, but I wouldn't, I'd be lying if I didn't say I didn't want to move here. And there was like some good benefits. The podcast was a big one. Like the industry's here, yeah. you know, surrounding yourself with people that are going to take you up. And so there's just a lot of reasons to like, Hey, let's pick up and move to Montana. And so that was it. I mean, uh, Montana's great. Um, but Bozeman's definitely the biggest city I've ever lived in by a long shot. And it's not huge. Um, and I'm not like a city person. So, uh, to me, it's, it's definitely like I moved to the city ironically, even though I moved from Oregon to Montana. Um, <laughs> but there could be worse cities to live in, I guess. Come on. You're a city guy. Last time I saw you, we had some beers in downtown Denver, man. Yeah, we were in Denver and it was, yeah, that's even worse down. <laughs> Oh man, I avoid Denver like the plague, man. I I can't. Yeah. I try to stay far away from that. It's just too busy for me. Like you, I, I you know, small farm town in Michigan. I think I grew up in a town of like a thousand people. You know, so it's like yeah. anything over that. It's like it's a big city to me. And Denver is, yeah. you know, like, you get anxiety when you go to Denver. Man, it's just the driving, and you know, part of it is like you know, I've been, I got hit by a drunk driver there. So it's like, you know, it's, I don't know. There's just something about it where it's like, you're just kind of always like on edge a little bit. I just, yeah. It's the driving part. It just kind of gets me because it's just gotten so crazy the last three, four or five years. I mean, yeah, no, thank you. You got to get to the airport if you want a cheap flight though. So you got to go through (laughs) it. It's true. Uh, (laughs) true. But it's all, it's all good. Um, well, that's really cool. And, and, uh, you got a pretty interesting story from the standpoint, like, I think you get on your website and you know, you're about us. And I think I've heard you talk about it on your podcast or been a guest on other podcasts, but you had a pretty life-changing event uh, back in the day. Um, talk to us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, I'm assuming you're talking about breaking my neck. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
I mean, that's well, pretty. I mean, that sounds pretty big to me. I, I don't know. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I go back and forth on this because I hate to. Yeah, you don't want to like play it up like it's like. Yeah, I, don't, you know? I hate to play it up or anything, yeah. but it is. It's important to like talk about you know things that make you adjust your life, and I think yeah. that, like, you know moving to Montana, a lot of that stemmed from that situation of breaking my neck. Like when you when you get told you're never going to walk again, perspectives change, and oh, yeah. you know you go through life and you're like, okay. I was kind of going through the motions before, but like, we should probably get serious about this thing. Um, and so that, that was a lot of it, you know, all of these things, whether it's me trying to be an entrepreneur, me trying to just go hunting all the time, me trying to live wherever I want to live. Like there's a lot of that stems back, you know, there's, so you circle back 2009, um, August 1st, 2009, actually. I uh, was going swimming with some friends. I just got back uh, from working in Nevada and I drove, you know, 11 hours. And I dive into this pond. There was a floating dock out in the middle of this pond. And I, I was just going to swim out there. So I ran, jumped off the dock to swim out there and uh, happened to crack uh, basically a five-gallon bucket of concrete uh, on the way oh my God. on the way in. And uh, ended up snapping my neck. Um, kind of a big ordeal. And at the time, like, I didn't think it was a lot. Um, but, you know, it's, it is what it is. And I was paralyzed uh, at the moment. It was completely paralyzed face down in the water. And eventually, kind of, I got my hands back, but uh, ended up shattering my C6 into about C- six pieces. Spent a month uh, in the hospital. Uh, was told I'd never walk again. And, you know, looking back on it, it's really scary and it's very life-changing. But at the time, it was kind of like, no, I'm young. I can get through this. Yeah, I'm yeah. like uh, this arrogant attitude for right or wrong was like I no way like that you're wrong and I'll prove you wrong. Um, and I think a lot of that stems. I've talked about this before, but I think a lot of that stems from a workup to that. So <laughs> through a lot of bad decisions in my life, I've been <laughs> injured more than a few times, and so it was like a stepping stone. And for me, so breaking my neck was kind of like just this next level of injury, which like does not make me sound like an intelligent kid. But uh, I did a lot of dumb stuff. And, you know, I always get hurt and break something or stitches or end up in the ER. And it was kind of like, you know, the next one, it was always like, how, how long until I get better? It was never like, this is the ender, this is a career ender or whatever. It was just like, okay. I'm on the injured reserve for how long? And so I think when, I, when it came to breaking my neck and being told I never walk again, I think that's a lot of what happened is like I just didn't believe it. And because I had been through a few things, you know, that were gradually worse and worse. And so like I had this mindset like, okay, no, I'm going to get better. Like, yeah. Wait. It just depends on how long. So, um, but I think overall, like it was, it was impactful. It made me appreciate elk hunting for sure. Like I was still really big into hunting then. And, um, and in fact, I left, uh, I left, see, I would have left the rehabilitation Institute. I went home for like two days and, uh, decided that sucked being at, being at home when you are, mostly paralyzed it's pretty rough because it's like all the things you used to do um that you can't do now um and then when you were in the hospital for over a month it's kind of like okay all these things didn't get done and now i can't do it. it's it's a it's a rough sure, it's a mental back. mental yes. mind game there yeah totally and so i actually just pieced out and went to my cabin um and so i have this cabin and i had some buddies that had the elk tag for there and so i was like i'm going to elk camp like 
we'll figure the rest of this out when I get back. And yeah. doctors were not thrilled about that. But I just like, I was like, I got to get out. I can do this. And I think that was, I mean, huge piece of my recovery is like getting in around screaming bulls. And yeah. I, one of my buddies, uh, he had the tag and, uh, man, we just trucked it all over. We had like these crutches and I still had one leg that did not work at all. Um, at oh that point. <laughs> so, yeah. And I'm, maybe five weeks after breaking four weeks after breaking my neck because it would have been opening week of archery season in oregon so i yeah, got late august um and we man we chased bulls all over and like i would just hold on to his pack and like he drug me around they'd lift me over him and his brother lift me over logs and stuff and i was just like it was cool to be back you know in your element there's there's a certain aspect of it, it was like this sucks because i can't even walk uh, but you know they drug me around the elk woods and it was it was big for me and i spent you know pretty much the month of september just staying at the cabin and and even if i didn't go like they'd go hunting and come back and tell me stories and stuff so yeah um You're I mean, an it, animal. Kind of, it was a rough time <laughs> of my life there's you know probably better ways to go about that but i think it worked out i'd, <laughs> I'd say so how old were you when that happened i'm gonna say 22 yeah wow yeah well hey like i said it's it's sounds like you took the right mindset because yeah you could just sit down and accept it or uh, you yeah. can move forward and and yeah try to and get I, over it you know and get better and and i i hate the, the the hard part for me is like there's a lot of people that have been through the exact same thing as i did and will never walk again and so for me to sit here and say the mindset yeah. is everything True. It's belittling to their experience. Um, and I've talked to enough people, you know, over the years, but I will say, man, and I've, I've helped friends through some of this type of stuff. Um, and I, I cannot preach enough. The mindset is everything. Like you have to believe it. In my opinion, you just have to Need believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's just no other way. The hard part is convincing yourself. Now, like, like to convince yourself that you're going to get better is, is sometimes impossible. So I, you know, I, I hate, like people have asked me to do like the, you know, going motivational speaking and doing this, but it's like, man, there, there's, there's a fine line there because there's certain people that just won't get yeah, better. Like their injury, true. like to some extent mine, let's just call it was 51% luck. Even if it was, um, you know, maybe it was all luck. I don't know. There's a certain aspect of that, that they can't overcome or other people can't overcome. Yeah. But, I think accepting that is like, it's inevitably never going to get better then. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. That's, uh, that's pretty crazy and, and, and very unique. And, and thanks for sharing that story with us. I think that's very inspirational and, you know, just shows, uh, overcoming adversity and, and that's, and that's just life in a lot of ways. And that's elk hunting too. I mean, that's, Dude, I mean, yeah. <laughs> as we all know, as cheesy as it sounds like, <laughs> trust me, it is very applicable to elk hunting. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, like you wouldn't circle around to talking about like what mistakes most people make. If there's one thing that, you know, I've picked up throughout the years is like the extreme level of try that is at the, the, the level above you. So um, circle back when I, I used to race motocross, race ATVs for a long time. And I'll never forget the first pro race I went to. And like I was a pretty experienced racer at that point. But the first time I saw like a pro pro, 
it was like, oh, they're operating on a different wavelength. I get it. And it was like this eye-opening experience. And I think to some degree, I have talked to some of the best hunters in the world. Very similar. I see the same things. Like there's people that just operate at a different wavelength. Like their level of try is what most people can't even comprehend. So when we talk about like, oh, I'm going elk hunting. If you go all kind of because it was fun and you want to spend a week vacation, that's that's fine. Um, that's you know that's your prerogative. Like it's your vacation, do whatever you want. But if you really want to become like the ten percent of elk hunters that are successful every year, it, you gotta up the level of try. Yeah, yeah. No, I I totally get that, and I see it. You know, like I I run um, hunting camp up here where people come in, rent the cabins, and you know, and it's over the counter stuff. It's all public land, but you know, I see that all too often is, you know, people kind of give up, you know, they get frustrated and, and, and they don't keep continuing that effort or they can't hold it through the entire week and can't overcome the, the hurdle and it kind of gets them down. And then they kind of get into that cycle a little bit, you know? Um, so yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Everybody's I totally got get a that. plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. No, that's uh that's a, that's a big one. I mean, um, yeah. What, uh, so that's, that's a really good point. What would you do? I mean, I know you've talked with some really good guys. I mean, like, you know, South Cox and Paul Medell and, you know, some of these guys that are just kind of next level scientists, you know, they got it, they got things dialed and they have everything kind of not, let's say totally figured out, but they're, they're those guys you're talking about. What, uh, I mean, what are, what are like some other mistakes you see from like just more of a, a strategy standpoint or a, a technique side do you have any points to add there yeah i would i mean i mean that's I a general say, question but <laughs> no for sure and i was trying to answer i was there's two ways to answer this and i was thinking like i could probably answer it like from a colorado perspective um so one and i've never elk hunted colorado so take this with a grain of salt um but a lot of what i see and this is applicable across the country whether you hunt colorado or not but like Humans tend to look at the same things. Um, we all e-scout, we all look at the maps, we all see the same things. Like, you think you're a, a unique snowflake, but you're not. Like, we all tend to look at a map and say, ooh, that looks good, or this doesn't look good. And so I think it's pretty funny that you have basins that are stacked full of people, and then you have areas that nobody's going to. Like, everyone's thinking the same thing. And so I think one of the ways to get around that is... First, you have to be flexible and be able to make adjustments on the fly. Um, you know, I go into hunts. Did I lose you? No, no, no. I'm still here. Um, sorry. I go into hunts, and a lot of times my plans get busted. Like, people are thinking the same thing. I, I, I thought I thought outside the box, but I didn't, right? <laughs> yeah. And so being able to be adaptive and move on the fly is really important. But I think overall, like, just being able to look at a map – differently than 90% of the population and 90% of the hunters out there is like so invaluable. At the yeah. end of the day, you can't, it's hard to be successful when you're hunting with other people, you're hunting pressured animals, you're hunting all these things. Like you're just, you're, you're really pushing against your, your luck odds. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I think that's very applicable to Colorado. A uh, lot of over the counter opportunities here, more elk than anywhere else in the country, but also more hunters. And you know, you see it off all too often. Okay, I pull up to the trailhead or the parking lot, and oh shoot, I can see that basin way off in the distance yeah. up at you know 
11,000, 12,000 feet. And it, it, you know, all right, I'm going to there, you know, but how many other guys are already up there or on their way there as well, thinking the same thing. And, and, uh, I think you're totally right. You gotta, you gotta look at something that's, you know, could be this little, could be half a mile from the parking lot, but it's just this nasty drainage, you know, steep drop off that might have a little bench on it or something or something you know the sage you know blm land that people are driving past on their way up to national forest you never know yeah and i think a lot of it is like people romanticize elk uh, people romanticize hunting in general whether it's deer or elk or whatever but um i think to some extent if you look at something like man that's really pretty i'd like to hunt that basin guess what 32 other dudes just thought the same thing and are headed there um and so you know sometimes it's you know, what you want out of a hunt when it comes to a general over-the-counter hunt, it's, it may not be like the Primos videos where it's like perfectly open, dark timber and bulls screaming all over, you know, like I've killed a lot of elk in pretty nasty brushy holes that were not romantic at all. <laughs> and, and so like, you know, thinking about it from that perspective, I think even say mule deer, people see these big basins and they want to hunt like, oh, this big sweeping basin and it's, you know, full of deer. I would much rather hunt the like little rocky cran- nook cranny around the, the side of the mountain that nobody's looking at, but that deer hasn't been touched. And so from, from that, it's like I try – to remind myself not to be romantic about how I hunt elk or where I hunt elk and just focus on getting an elk. Yeah. I like that a lot. Really, really good tips there. I I love that. Um, as a resident of, you know, me and you are both residents of elk country, right? Uh, we can hunt, we have the option to hunt, you know, full season. We can hit a spot 30 minutes away or, you know, we can go pack into a national forest, five miles deep but what uh what's kind of your strategy as a resident you know at like are you the guy that's gonna you know do the week hunt and try to get in somewhere and and do a bivy style uh week-long hunt or do you sometimes mix it up and do some day hunts and do a lot of driving and glassing and driving and moving and what's your what's your kind of preferred style there or do you do a mix of both uh, I definitely do a mix of both. Um, and let's say like in Montana, like I'll either go really deep in the backcountry or I'll utilize stuff that I can scout a lot. So when you, when I think about hunts, um, say I'm putting in for hunts and I have different hunts all over the country, um, this year, the farther away I get from my house, the less I want to rely on scouting, which means the closer I get to like city hunting my home state, if there's a place I can hunt, uh, or uh, sorry, the place I can hunt, I can scout a lot, which I should be able to like, should be able to scout your home state quite a bit. Right. Yeah. Um, at least four or five weekends, uh, four or five trips during the year. And so that asset gives me the ability to like, look at more open country, find more remote elk, things like that. Um, or, you know, hunt places that, that aren't reliant on the tactics that are going to be used for say, like calling and dark timber and all these things like those those are good things but on that hunt if i wanted a hunt that was like dark timber i'm gonna call and bugle and whatnot i don't really need to scout that hunt so let's utilize that hunt somewhere where i can't really scout if that makes sense 
So like I I just kind of look at the asset factor of like what's my what's my asset as a as a resident you know I can scout or I can maybe I can get this tag that other people can't get um, you know what's what is the asset factor so if I lived in Colorado it's a great example if I lived in Colorado there's some units in Colorado that are just open country uh, there's not a lot of elk um, and then there's countries or areas that are high country and very thick they're heavily hunted so. Uh, you're probably gonna have to hunt the thick brush and things like that. You know, for me, I would rather drive to Idaho and do the hunt that I could go bugle and try to find elk with and use Colorado as an open country hunt. No, I'm not saying that's exactly how I would do it, but like just thinking about like, okay, if I have the time to scout uh, and I live in Colorado, let's take advantage of that. Uh, now, there's people that are like, oh, well, I just love bugling elk, so I want to do that only. Um, so I don't know. I think I just look at it as like, what benefit do I have of proximity? Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, yeah, I find myself doing a little the same, and but I've, I've seen myself kind of more just, just getting busier in life, you know, whatever. Cool. Uh, I find myself kind of doing more, and I have the ability of this, and I guess non-residents have the ability too. It's just, it may, may be a little tougher, you know, depending on what kind of gear you're bringing and what your setup is. But I like to, I like to bounce around. I like to check out small little BLM chunks. I, you know, yeah. hunt, hunt some, you know, small little public pieces backing up behind private land, you know, that just some people aren't really getting into. And I've had some good, good success with that as well. I, I wrote a article in Bute, uh, Bugle, uh, in like the May, April, May issue and, and talking about that exact thing, you know, kind of hunting front country or spots closer to home and overlooked totally. areas. I, and, you know, it's just, it can be an, an eye opener for some people. Hopefully, nope. Hopefully I didn't give away too many secrets. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> no, but that goes to the thing. Like, I feel like if I was like living there, like I kind of hunt the same way in Montana now is like bouncing around a lot, but I can go check those places out and go look at this. I feel like if I was coming from the East Coast, like the last thing I want to do is like, I don't know, go hunt right outside of Denver and bounce around. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But no, it's, okay. it's just like, it's not the experience you want out yeah, of a hunt. Exactly. Um, whereas like being there gives you the ability a few more days, you know, maybe a longer season. Uh, you know, I think those can take longer too, like bouncing around from spot to spot it can be less productive in some ways, but more productive, right? Yeah. So you may spend more days not finding anything, but then you find success, you know, or you find that one herd and it, you get successful, right? Um, and whereas like you go in the back country, it's kind of hit or miss. And I think eating more these days, I tend to lean more towards not going full commit to the back country. And I've done it. There's pros to it. Um, I really like the experience of it. But it goes back to not being romantic about a hunt. And sometimes like hunting multiple little spots or this little chunk and that little chunk or this little spot, you know, I got spots that are a hundred miles apart and I may like end up bouncing out of this one and going to that one. Um, and you know, for me, that just, I feel like I have more success in that intermedium of not complete front country, but not complete back country. Being able to be mobile, being able to bounce around, go check different stuff, um, and try to find those elk herds. And I think, I think as you see hunting pressure increase, more and more people hunting, I feel like to me that's that happy medium of like being mobile enough to find the voids in the pressure, if if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Uh, 
not being romantic about a hunt. That's a that's a good quote. Uh, you should trademark that or whatever. I <laughs> that's a that's a good good terminology, and it, it, it holds true. And uh, yeah, so playing into the hunting pressure thing, um, have you? I mean, I, I've seen it pretty pretty you know a good increase since I've been out here in 2015, at least in Colorado. Uh, you know, just the hunting pressure just in the last two to three years really come up are you i mean across the board and you know even in montana idaho some other states are, are you seeing more activity as well i would i would say yes yes and no um like during elk season last year i didn't see a ton of people i did see one day there was a and i was in the area i expected to see it um but i overall didn't see a ton of pressure having said that though like the amount of people you're seeing right now for uh, antelope up here and even spring bear was insane. Uh, so I do feel like it is increasing. Um, last year I was in Colorado for a deer hunt and I was blown away at the pressure. Yeah, And that's not something you can really predict. It's not like, oh, okay, <laughs> at least not me. You know, like it wasn't like, oh, I'm, there's going to be people here. There's going to be, there's people everywhere, but you know, it's constantly uh, reevaluating, constantly reevaluating to figure out, okay, where is the void in the pressure? Like how, what are people not doing? What are people not seeing? Uh, and just, man, just constant analysis. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I, I like that a lot. It's, uh, yeah, the pressure. Are you finding like Colorado is kind of the same way? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, you know, my, my strategy kind of going forward is, and maybe I shouldn't let this out of the bag, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I kind of want to start hitting other states like Idaho, maybe Montana, maybe Oregon, you know, like, and then on the off. So like I do the point, play the point system, you know, uh, maybe do a, try to do on, let's say 2021, I do a out of state archery elk hunt and I can come back and do an over-the-counter hunt here whether it's archery or rifle in Colorado and then on the following year I've I've got a point you know so then I can as a resident doesn't take as many points to draw you know an archery unit or whatever and hunt that and maybe leave some of that behind and start learning some of these uh draw units a little bit better so that's kind of going to be my strategy going forward just to kind of mitigate some of that pressure uh you know I, I i don't know it's just it seems like it's in and who knows what the coronavirus is going to bring for this fall I, you know with everything going on i don't i think i think we're, we might i originally i thought it was going to be maybe less people maybe people are a little bit more afraid to to travel but it's not the vibe i'm getting and you know with, with <laughs> no more way, time dude. off and more people yeah i i think so as well so gosh it's it's going to be interesting to see what, what comes of it for sure. Do you feel like one of the things, you know, I've talked about this for Colorado is I feel like it's one of the cases where I, I think a lot of people are doing the same things. And I get this from just talking to people where I'll talk to some people and it's, they couldn't get away from people if they had to like there's people everywhere, people everywhere. And then I talk to some people and they're like, Oh, never saw a person. I'm like, that is interesting to me. Like, it seems like there's very much a every, you know, it's terrible. There's people everywhere or there's nobody. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if it's just like the people who are seeing nobody are picking the right places or the right type of terrain. Maybe, uh, I, I don't know. Is, is there any truth to that? I think there is. I, I hear that same thing myself. I'm in knock on wood. I don't, I don't run into anybody myself and I, and I don't honestly go 
crazy far back in. I, I, I just don't. I think I hit some of these smaller spots and, and, you know, I'll hunt close to the road. I don't care. I killed a, my only bull I've killed. It was, uh, a quarter mile off the road in an open meadow that anybody can walk to. I mean, it's just, yeah. I think there's a lot of people that, you know, kind of tr- try the status quo of, of, like you said, going to the same locations and they think it's good. And, you know, but how many other people are thinking that same thing? And, uh, you know, in the back country, isn't the back country like it, what it used to be. I mean, you know, uh, with the technology advancements, the packable meals, the, you know, lighter weight sleeping bags, uh, you know, the gear galore. I mean, you could be damn comfortable for seven days in the back country, but so can everybody else. It's been that craze for a while, you know? So well, I think it's just cool to go there. You know, it's like, it is, it's an experience. You know, and if that's what you yeah. want, then that's, then that's fine. That's great. I've done that same thing and I love it. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, there's, there's also pressure there too Chilling out. <laughs> yeah exactly don't romanticize it and uh but yeah no yeah. i see the same thing i've talked to guys that run into people every day or they don't see an elk for their whole week or whatever and yeah i i i should talk to those people and get their take you know like what do they do you know dissect if, that a little if bit. i was going to colorado i would pick drainages that are very small that are the thickest timber I could possibly get into, the most downfall I could get into, and only pick drainages that I couldn't see from a road. So, like, I don't, it, there's this magical thing where if you can see a drainage from a road, you'll go there. But if you can't see it from a road, I feel like there's less people. Uh, and so, like, I would, I would hone in on north slopes. I, I mean, I wouldn't specifically say north slopes, but I mean, I would, you know, okay, it's a north slope. That's good. But if it was a south slope and it was dark t- or timbered up and nasty and brushy, you know, I'm actually may, having said that, I may even go non-north slopes because everyone's going north slopes. Yeah. Like, I think, I think it's one of those things where like, I have killed elk on every slope of the mountain. And <laughs> for whatever reason, people are like, gotta be on the north slope timber patch. You know, like that's one of those things that draws people in. So if nobody's looking at like nasty little southwest facing drainages, you know, then fine, I'll go there. Um, I, I would just focus on those it may be because of my Oregon background, like, and I, I'm confident in the, in the brush nasty, uh, timber, but I, man, I think that's, I would just focus on those and work those timber patches and not try not try to be in North slopes, not try to be in big basins. I'd stay away from aspens. I love hunting aspens, but so does everyone else in the world. That's a good point too. Yeah, no, everyone where we as humans, we want the past uh, path of least resistance and you know yeah. how many other people are doing that same thing so you're you're exactly right i i like that a lot it's really spot on advice and i think it, it definitely applies to colorado especially a unit or especially a, uh, a state that's really really pressured with a lot of over-the-counter opportunities and especially in this year with you know the influx of people that could be coming out due to more time off and more stimulus checks in their pocket. You never know. Are you guys seeing a huge influx of like people moving to Colorado? Cause Bozeman's through the roof. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's been, you know, the whole really for Colorado, what really, you know, pushed that was the, the, the legal weed thing back in, what was that? 2010 yeah. or 11. I don't even know. Uh, and then it's just kind of, you know, sprung there and then it's just pushing further, further and West, you know, as further from Denver, but yeah, no. And, and then with this year, with all, all the COVID, everything, I mean, just the backcountry camping and the people out hiking and people riding four-wheelers. And, I mean, it's 
it's probably a 50% increase just in activity. And you wonder what that's going to do to maybe some of the animals. And, you know, I don't know, like there's just a lot of people hiking and camping, which is great. You know, like I'm not going to, I don't knock any of that, but you know, you just wonder what kind of impacts it might have, you know, oh, I guarantee it. Well, you guys having a pretty dry year too. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it, it was, uh, July, we got a few weeks of rain and then since then, you know, it's been pretty dry. There's some massive wildfires going on out here uh, right now. There's one up by Grand Junction that's approaching the largest wildfire, you know, acreage ever in the in the history of Colorado. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's pretty dry. Uh, high country, you know, it, it definitely gets more rain precipitation than we do down lower. But for the most part, it's it's shaping up to be a pretty dry year for sure. How about Montana? Uh, I would say not bad. Um, it's been okay. a little bit hot, a little bit dry. It kind of dried out, but, um, we had rain complete through the, out, uh, at least the antler growth season. Yeah. Uh, I sprinkled a little bit yesterday. Yeah. We've not been terrible this year. Yeah. I would say. What do you, uh, do you change anything up from like drier conditions to maybe wetter, rainier, you know, summer conditions as far as like your hunting? Like, are you focusing on different areas at all? um yes and no it depends on where i am so i would say like new mexico any area dry climate so when i go to new mexico been watching the weather there been watching the precipitation and i do think it's gonna be a pretty dry year down there uh so you know those come into factors if i was hunting i will be hunting idaho but uh say in idaho i don't even consider it you know like a lot of the places I hunt uh, have water, and people like to think they don't, but there's plenty of water. Yeah. There's alcohol into a stream or a creek, and you'd be surprised, man. Those alcohol drop thousands of feet, take a drink of water, <laughs> and walk right back up. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> to hunt water is almost comical in a mountain terrain. Uh, but where it comes, you know, open terrain or the rolling slopes or the you know, high desert, uh, definitely the high desert, those places, yes. But for the most part, if I'm hunting mountain elk, I don't think it uh, depends on, in Colorado, there's a lot of variance in what you can hunt for, for the most part, I wouldn't worry about it. Um, Idaho wouldn't worry about it. Western Montana wouldn't worry about it. Eastern Montana, you know, something to consider, but it's not, not my type priority. Yeah. 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 I just curious, you know, some, we got a drought, uh, was it like two summers ago, three summers ago, it was really, really dry. And I was having some pretty good success just backing up to private, you know, irrigated, you know, that totally. elk would bet up on the BLM and stuff. They'd be down way yep. low. I mean, it was hot as hell and, you know, early season. And, uh, but those elk were betting, you know, a mile, half a mile into the BLM. And then they'd go down and feed in these irrigated alfalfa or hay fields at night. And I was really keying in on that. Um, they're hitting oak brush and stuff down lower. Uh, last year was a pretty wet summer and it seemed like they were just spread everywhere you know i mean it, they weren't yeah. concentrated maybe as much and i don't know i just try to look for those kind of you know as i kind of get more years under my belt i can maybe start maybe putting together some pieces of what these elk are doing based on weather conditions and i'll never figure it out but you know it's nice and to hope one of the things that i guess you should consider too is like <clears throat> if you're if you're just looking to shoot an elk uh, even a, a bull elk like if you're spike yeah. rag or something like that uh these are different factors than what you know i'm looking for so uh say oregon's a good example I'll, if i was hunting oregon it opens up uh this weekend august 25th or whatever uh maybe it's 24th uh 
the first week of that season. Water can be crucial, can be huge. You know, those they're in a summer pattern. And a lot of those cows and even like the little raghorn groups, uh, you know, satellite groups, you'll have four or five, even five, six-point bulls that are cruising together and they're hitting the wallows and they're doing stuff. And so opening week, you know, or if it's a bit dry, say Oregon, Idaho even this year, uh, those can be good approaches, man. Like if you can consistently hit – or get elk that are consistently hitting the same water source, then yeah, uh, that's a great option. If you can't, you know, maybe I go to New Mexico and we end up shooting one over water and I don't normally hunt water, but again, I'm not going to be romantic about how I get it done. Yeah, they're there, you know, they're if there. If my goal is to kill an elk with a bow, then I think water on opening week is a great option. Uh, for me, you know, looking for a herd bull or a bigger bull, it can be a good option, but at the end of the day, big bulls are pretty inconsistent on those things. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. I like it. Um, you've, you've had Paul Medell on your podcast a few times. Uh, that dude's a, a wizard when it comes to yeah. calling. I, I love those. Uh, I think you, how many ups, have you done a couple episodes, two episodes? Oh, with him? Man, I don't know. I don't know. I think three or four now. Yeah. Yeah. Each, each one is, you know, pretty, I mean, it's top notch stuff. I've, re, I've really enjoyed those. Um, are you uh, are you pretty big into calling as well? Is that a, a big part of your strategy? Or I mean, talk to us a little bit about that. Uh, you know, calling first, not calling is kind of one of those debates that's been rolling around in my head for the last couple of years. Uh, <laughs> I grew up uh, hunting the coast, and calling is the only way to do it. Uh, I've really cut my teeth on calling, and I would consider myself, you know, I, I feel confident that yeah. I can call an elk. Um, I have no problem going into dark timber and calling elk. I, I think there's most situations uh, that's going to turn into success. Having said that, you know, as I start hunting more open country, obviously, it, the more open country you get to, the less you should be calling. Um, and so as hard as it, it can be hard to put down the call sometimes. But I would say that, you know, these days I spend a lot of time not calling. Having said that, uh, I told Jaden, Jaden and I are probably going to hunt Wyoming together. I was like, when we go to Wyoming – we're calling out, we're hunting dark temper and we're screaming at bulls. Cause that <laughs> just sounds fun. So, yeah. I, you know, I feel like I can do both. Um, and it's, it's a matter of having the self-discipline to know when to put the calls down, I think is the hard part yeah. for a lot of people. Like you get, you get into call mode and you, it's hard to turn it off. You just want to blow that call and you want to bugle and, and go at it. And sometimes the situation just doesn't call for it. So, you know, having the mental toughness to know when to put it down is probably the toughest thing for me. Yeah. Reading, reading the scenarios and, and everything yeah. as well. I mean, um, Colorado, if it's a pressured unit, I mean, I kind of make the analogy of it's like in Michigan growing up hunting whitetail deer. I mean, I do not call the deer in Michigan. I don't rattle. I don't, yeah. you know, cause I mean, everybody does it. It's so pressured. Everyone's hunting their 20 30 acre 40 acre you know 200 acre farms and it that that blows deer away uh you know faster than it'll bring them in and and i feel like in colorado so it can be a similar standpoint depending on where you're at and but you really just have to read the scenario too and and uh but you do you do some blind calling as well like you'll go into a dark timber and you'll just start blind calling and do some setups and that stuff you like that strategy too yeah yeah i mean i do i've done a fair amount of that and i mean i've done it and i i can't say i one of these days i'm gonna go to colorado just so i feel like i can speak on the matter (laughs) um and maybe i'll like go 180 the other way but i've hunted 
extremely pressured areas in Oregon uh, and had success calling and, you know, in areas where guys couldn't buy a bugle. So I really do feel like getting in close. You want to talk about another mistake. You know, all these guys want to run around the ridges or run around on top and bugle. Yeah. Uh, but slipping in and making authentic elk noises, uh, whether that's, you know, using trees to rub and, you know, little spike squeal bugles and things like that, you know, and Paul and I have talked about this a lot, just, you know, mimicking elk, it's different than blowing an elk bugle, um, and getting in close and mimicking elk. Understanding to me is far what they're more saying, you know? Yeah. yeah. And just making it realistic, uh, is, is really important. Um, and so like, I, I hate to say that, but I would love to go to Colorado and try that. You gotta do see, it, man. I mean, you know, maybe they, they run the other way, but <laughs> it, don't get me wrong. Don't. I've had elk run the other way. Like I've, I've had, so it's definitely possible. Yeah, no, I, I don't want to put Colorado in this pedestal as like the <laughs> most pressured and you know, like it's impossible. It's it's definitely not. I've I've called in elk and you know, uh, I just feel like uh, you know sometimes less is more. You know when it comes to that and yeah, I, I would be inter- I, after you do your Colorado hunt. I'll have you on the podcast. We'll we'll dissect it. We'll break it down. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> That'd be very cool. Uh, do you do you put much? merit into uh moon phases at all as far as planning your your trips or your hunts or which weeks you're going to go out you know i used to um it's an interesting conversation i I, there is some merit to the conversation and i think if i was the person who had one week to go hunting um i would be open to the concept of looking at the moon phase and trying to plan it around that uh Having said that, I would also weigh in the factor of everyone else doing the same thing. It goes back to like, what's the best moon phase? Well, if everyone hunts the same week, would you rather have a bad moon phase or <laughs> 32 people in your spot? You know, so yeah. uh, I really don't. I really don't worry about it anymore. And a lot of that stems from I'm this year I'm hunting pretty much all 30 days of elk season. Uh, so I'm going to hit all the moon phases. I don't really care. I don't think it really matters too much to me. You know, it's a matter of when I can get there. But I think something that people should think about is that that fact that I'd rather hunt a bad moon phase with no people than a good moon phase with, you know, people. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's, again, it's thinking outside the box and, and not... I don't uh, know, do you think about the moon phase? I Have I you do, noticed anything I, different? I, I have not. I can't. I can't honestly attest to that. Uh, however, I do in this one area that I hunt, there's a certain day and it, I'm not even joking. Like I killed my bull on that day. The following year, I missed a 280 bull on that day. Uh, the next year I didn't hunt that. I wasn't able to hunt that day, but then last year I hunted that same day, got my brother to full draw on, you know, a six point, uh, bull and, uh, you know, talk to an old timer that's hunted that area forever. And he says, you know, September 9th, that's the day, like September 9th, whatever it is like that, like, and and I've seen that play out, you know, all four years, the last four years, like that day is the day to be out there for whatever. I don't know what it is. Uh, but that seems to be, I've noticed trends like that, but I have not, can't honestly say I've noticed anything with the moon phase and I haven't, I guess, really paid attention enough to it to really attest to it, but I don't know. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people like to hunt, you know, third week of season, um, late season, you know, they want to get that peak of the rut. 
honestly, I think Early's good. Uh, if I was looking for any bull, I think Early's really good. And you get less pressure. When I used to hunt Idaho, I hunted a pretty pressure area. And I was always hunting it the last week of season because I'd wait till Oregon was done and then go to Idaho. Uh, and by that time, the cows were so just on edge. You know, any little wrong move, wrong call, wrong situation, they would bolt out of there and, you know, drag a bull with them. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't think that had anything to do with the moon phase. It was more just the pressure. And I think – Thinking about pressure is more important than thinking about moon face, in my opinion. Uh, and, you know, hunting elk earlier is going to be less pressured elk. There gets a point where it's like, if it's still hot, it sucks because you get like a half hour of hunt in the evening and a half hour in the morning and you spend the rest of the day kind of doing nothing because it's just too hot. Elk aren't moving. They're not fired up enough. And so trying to find that sweet spot between when it starts to cool down, you start getting rut behavior, but also not you know, with it, everybody, um, and hunting pressure. Yeah. I've, uh, honestly, I've spent a lot of my time hunting that the Labor Day weekend, you know, the first almost like full, full week of September. And it's kind of that happy medium of, yeah, if you want to, you know, it can be hot too, but if you want to hunt, you know, sit a meadow or something, you know, and, and, and kind of hunt that, that style or if you're kind of getting to the point where they're starting to get fired up and you can chase some bugles and at the same time you don't have as much hunting pressure it seems because like you said everyone's waiting you know that third week of september last week of september when the rut's really cranking um you know so i've i've kind of seen the similar thing it's like kind of it's a balance of finding the happy medium of you know good elk hunting the yeah. experience you want, avoiding, you know, pressure, thinking outside the box and kind of trying to piece it all together. Dude. And that's, I mean, that's hunting in a nutshell. It's like, yeah. you're finding this happy medium. Uh, it's like the happy medium oh, for getting away from roads first, going too far in the back country where you're stuck back there, you know, like pressure, non-pressure, moon face, first people, all these things, you know, weather, they're all like, they're happy mediums and you're never going to get the best of every, every little thing. Uh, but it's dealing with kind of the best you have at the, at the current moment. Yeah. Yeah. You want the perfect experience, go hunt the high fence ranch down in, uh, <laughs> yeah. Texas or something. I don't know. You know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> there's always going to be variables, <laughs> you know, totally. so, but that's what makes it fun and interesting and keeps you learning and, and coming back for more and, pushes you to get better it's 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 real fun uh yeah and i think that's a lot of it like when i hit when i hit new mexico like a light switches in me and it's game time and you know yeah i haven't scouted haven't anything but it's like i'm go 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 until we get the job done um and there's people that don't like hunting with me because i'm too go 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 uh but at the same time like for me there's job that's got to get done and there's limited amount of time I don't know how many times I've made the mistake of feeling like I had all the time in the world only to have look down and have two days left. And it's like, Oh no. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, even this year it was like, I felt like I had, you know, a bunch of time blocked off for my Montana hunt. I was like, cool. I got like 20 days. Uh, that's, you know, that's what I like. And I, start oh well this has got to get done and then i should go here this you know yeah. and i was like oh i got this eight day hunt and then i have to work a little bit and then i got a five day hunt that's not the same as a 20 day hunt no it's not <laughs> yeah it's fast it's crazy how fast that can go and you know people yeah. think of a, a week hunt well it's like okay a day or so especially if you're from east coast you know a day or so travel out there travel. you show up yep. tired you got to get settled in camp you know, let's say you start hunting Sunday night or 
really Monday, you know, then you got to head out on Saturday to get back, you know, for the following week. I mean, that's, that's, that's not a lot of time to get it done, especially if you're a beginner, you know, if you can take a two week block, I mean, that's, that's ideal. I mean, it's, it's a long, it's a long journey, but honestly, it's very beneficial for sure. No, I think that's, I mean, I think another mistake people make is they try to you know, do a seven day hunt. I don't know who set these rules of like a five day hunt, a seven day hunt. I don't know if it's because a lot of guides do that outfitters. Yeah. So then people go on a DIY hunt and they're like, Oh yeah, I'll just do a seven day hunt. Like, man, that's, that takes, you know, it takes a lot longer than that. You know, and that's going to blow by so fast. I really encourage if you're going to spend the money and travel to hunt, go for 14 days, 10 minimum. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Especially if you're putting in points and, you know, saving up for that stuff. I mean, it does, I've, I've spoke on that before. I think that makes a huge difference. Not, not only for elk, it's any hunt, you know, I mean, more time you, that's especially bow hunting. I mean, bow hunting is, you know, that's, that's a time. It's all about time and patience and, you know, playing off the right scenarios. For sure. But when you have a 10 day hunt, hunt it like you got five days left. <laughs> yeah. Another good piece. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Do you hunt, um, do you hunt alone a lot? Like, do you prefer that? Or uh, you, you got some good buddies that are on your same level, you know, that can kind of be on the same page as you? Um, I would say 99% of the time when it comes to archery elk hunting, I am by myself. Um, pretty rare that I hunt with anyone else. Uh, I just kind of how it came out over the years. I do enjoy hunting by myself. Uh, a lot of it is just the time thing, you know, not everyone has the same schedule or the same tag or, you know, I, yeah. I tend to put in, you know, 15 to 20 days and I've met very few people that are willing to do that. And, uh, and so just over the years, it's kind of become a solo sport for me and I really don't mind it. I, you know, enjoy it. The pack outs aren't as fun, uh, but <laughs> Yeah, such is life. Yeah, uh, and then you know, throughout the year, this year I got some uh, uh, one of the hunts is with some really close friends, you know, childhood friends, and so we're going on a hunt together. And um, then I got another hunt that I'm doing with a buddy, and so I'll do some. Uh, but usually September is uh, so it's Cody hunt, time. Yeah, it's yeah. Cody time. I like that. Yeah, I uh, I find myself uh, a better hunter, like a more in tune, you know, by yeah. myself. You can make decisions a little more clear. You're not worried about what anybody else is doing or what they're going it's just you um it's more relaxing i think for me like I, I definitely love the camaraderie of friends and family and i, I you know the last the last two years i've i've had a major focus on you know i'm trying i'm getting my friends on elk and you know i had my brother and uh, you know out last year and got him on elk and the last two years i've really like you know, taking a lot of people out and that's been fun too, but it's really cut into my time. So I'm like, well, wait a yeah. second here. You're like 2016 <laughs> was awesome. Killed my bull. 2017, it was like the best year I could have had without killing an elk. I drew my bow back five, six times, missed the one. I mean, it was just a awesome year. And then <laughs> 2018 and 2019, we're just basically taking friends and family out, which I loved, you know, but it does take a lot of time. And I think if you can get in by yourself, like just for me personally, that's, that's just when I do I feel like I'm, I get into my element, you know, so I gotta yeah, be a little selfish. Me, I think I, I <laughs> do. And you do. I mean, when you really think about the fact that you have like so many seasons left yeah. and there's times like, yeah, like taking people, like calling out for people, it's fun, but man, I, I tend to be pretty selfish for not just the elk hunting reasons. Like for me, it's like alone time yeah. and I'm, I'm that way. I recharge being by myself and you know, I, I tend to do things differently. Like say you and I went hunting together. 
I know that you'll go anywhere I take you, but a certain part of me like, well, let's not go down there. Let's not do this because because Adam won't want to do that or whatever. Yeah. Like it's I, it's so hard for me to get over. Or I'll be like, hey, I'll do things different. Like I'll try to like, oh, I'll call him into you. It's like I would have never done that if it was solo. I know. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's hard to get through that. Like just trying to help other people all the time. Yep. Yep. 100% agree. Yeah, good good stuff. Um yeah, man, Cody, this has been awesome. Uh I really enjoyed this episode. Before uh before we drop off here, I want to talk about a couple things. Uh your podcast. Uh tell us a little bit about that. Uh what you do, what you cover, all that good stuff. Yeah, I mean it's uh it's a hunting podcast uh and talk all kinds of stuff. I I would say like it's funny cuz in the last 6 months we have transitioned the main show into more entrepreneurship, more life-based, and some some hunting as well, adventure hunting. So uh, that's kind of what interests me at this point in my life. So it's what I want to talk about. It's who I want to interview. And so realistically, you know, on my podcast, Rich Outdoors, we're talking about entrepreneurship, adventure hunting, and life. And uh, those are kind of the topics that interest me. And then on our other side, we actually, man, like two years ago now, created a Patreon page and we stuffed all of our super hardcore elk and mule deer content over there. We do a Wapiti Wednesday and a Muley Monday uh, every week. It alternates and uh, that's where we dive deep into some high level like tactics based stuff. Yeah. Uh, interviewing some of the best in the world and uh, it's been a lot of fun so I guess we kind of have two sides of the podcast um, and that's what it looks like right now and for the foreseeable future we've really enjoyed having like the whole Patreon thing it's been a lot of fun I love it and uh, speaking of entrepreneurship and and all that uh, talk to us a little bit about you know a recently new venture I think you started it like a year or two ago I can't remember when you launched that but tell Dude, us it's a like bit about- 2018 I know it's been a long time yeah I, I know yeah tell us even, about backcountry uh, fuel box yeah, so Backcountry Fuel Box is my company. It's kind of my little, I, I call it my side project. I don't know if it's a side project or main project at this point. <laughs> uh, but it's yeah, a subscription box for backcountry meals, snacks, bars, goose, all that good stuff. Uh, so if you like getting snacks, you like getting a box full of snacks every month. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's the one for you. We, you know, we've, had, we've worked with over 150 brands. Uh, we've, I don't know how many boxes now. Uh, but each month we kind of feature new products, new bars, new goose, new meals, whatever it may be. Um, and uh, one of my buddies was actually in the shop this week. This week, we just shipped out almost a thousand orders uh, wow. yesterday and it was insane. Uh, and my buddy's like, he was helping. He's like, I always thought you'd run out of products like a year and a half ago. And he's like checking out some of the stuff. He was just walking around in the shop stealing stuff. And uh <laughs> <laughs> and uh it's crazy so he's that many, one buddy <laughs> yeah oh yeah I, my shop is like stacked full of snacks and i think all of my friends know that and they just like sneak by to say hi hey cody what's snacks. going on man hey uh, can i check out your shop i want to see it yeah what's new what's new we're gonna try this snack that's funny uh, yeah so no it's been a lot of fun um and it's you know when we talk entrepreneurship it's a lot of you know the things i'm going through with that company uh struggles complications hurdles whatever you want to call it uh but it's been a lot of fun um you know kind of growing that thing and you know we're slowly reaching outside of the hunting space you know i really built a box for myself as a way to try new snacks get new stuff and basically have stuff all the time but uh we're kind of growing into the backpacking world getting bigger there um and just kind of the rei crowd in general so yeah uh, it's pretty cool way cool yeah i i uh, that's immediately what i think you know there's so many different options you know 10 years ago 
there was yeah. you know mountain houses and you know maybe so, some select yeah cliff bars basically <laughs> you know and and now there's just so many array of options and and different you know I don't know different mixtures and whatever it is you know uh, so many different you know chewy what's, gummies I gotta, I gotta and stuff. For you, Adam, like yeah. what's uh, what's your food prep? program look like like yeah. it's hunting season it's right around the corner like if you got everything prepped or are you Dude, like honestly, yeah honestly it's bad man I, I don't i suck that's that's honestly my biggest weakness and i probably should uh subscribe to the backcountry because <laughs> like i honestly need i need major help in that category i do not i do not do well with that at all like i i uh i struggle with it honestly um a lot of my hunts i just I just run protein bars. Like everyone thinks I'm crazy, but I'll eat protein bars for breakfast, lunch, and dinner on a hunt, uh, and I don't care. I, 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 I really, yeah, I know well, a lot of people don't agree with it, but I don't know. I I'm more of a simple guy, even in just my general eating. Like I, I'm yeah. pretty bland as far as like I don't try to do all this crazy stuff, but at the same time, like I know it's important, especially for this mule deer hunt that I'm coming up. You know, uh, it's high elevation and whatever I, I should have some good options uh i really it's suck in that it. yeah yeah <laughs> well like uh one of my you know, ryan lampers is a good friend of mine and um he is one of those guys that's run the same thing for years like just has a system blah blah blah, <laughs> blah and he i started sending him the box and i was just like dude you gotta try some of this stuff and he is like he's like dude i'm blown away at how much stuff there is that i didn't even know about he's like there's some really good stuff out there and like i get it because i think there's so many options these days that you tend to just be like ah i don't know i'm so overwhelmed yeah yeah i'm overwhelmed to say you know, uh paralysis by analysis like i just go to costco and buy a case of you know whatever and eat <laughs> chewy that. bars <laughs> yeah chewy bars for a week you know but i don't know it's it's fun i think it's a lot of it's for me it's a lot of fun even as like a consumer to get the box every month um, it's a lot of fun to put together. Uh, you know, I don't know. We've had every walk of life. I had friends that signed up for the box in the beginning just to kind of like support me as a friend. And they're like, you know what? My kids love getting the box. They've been subscribed for like two and a half years now. And they're like, yeah, we love getting the box. Like these are dudes that don't even hunt. Like they maybe go backpacking once a year Yeah. and they get it all year. And they're like, oh, I love getting the box. It's, you know, it's my favorite, favorite day of the year or it's favorite day of the month. So, um, <laughs> I don't know. It's a lot of fun. Uh, so if people are interested, they can check it out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So how do uh, we go to backcountryfuelbox.com and then you can yep. sign up for your subscription and do you have different yep. like tiers or is it just one, you know, like talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's uh, it's thirty three bucks a month. You can cancel anytime, pause anytime. Uh, I mean, if even if you don't like your first box, just, Hey, Hey, this sucks. And Cody, I'll come on, man. <laughs> I was disappointed. <laughs> Uh, I, I've, I've said that on a few podcasts and then one guy actually, uh, wanted a refund and I was like, dang it. I was like, whatever. Um, so one out of the thousands have ever gotten a refund, but, uh, yeah, we do like a three month prepaid or we do just a month by month. Um, yeah, I really want to create a subscription box. that wasn't scammy. There's so many subscription boxes that are just so scammy and that try to trick you and, Ah, man, I just hated it. And so like there's, we've had, um, we had a consultant that was like trying to get us to do some, uh, I don't know, pricing changes. And I was like, no, that's shady. I'm not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> like I'd rather just like, if people don't like it, fine, I don't care. You know, like go unsubscribe. So we've, we've, we've left it pretty open in that aspect. Yeah. And is it like, obviously there's, it, there's like a whole variety of thing, but like, is there like bars? Is there like freeze-dried meals yeah. is there like yeah. chewy you know gummy stuff like talk like that whole yeah. array like is that a typical 
Yeah, so your average box has eight to 12 products in it and usually has uh, always has a meal. uh, And we try to diversify. So, like, we have meals, we have bars. We try to limit how many bars we have and realistically one or two per box. And then we can do protein cookies, we'll do trail mixes, we'll do jerkies, we'll do beef snacks, we'll do all kinds of stuff. Um, You know, bakes, uh, the goose. We don't do a ton of goose. Um, we do the blocks though, like energy chews, things like that. Uh, hydration mixes. Every once in a while, I'll do a coffee. We try not to do too many coffees because I do know there's a lot of people that just don't even drink coffee. So try not to overload it in any one category and really broaden it out. So you get a kind of sample a bunch of different stuff. I think your next move is backcountry fuel box THC edition. Start hitting that crowd. Know. You know, we've had a, CBD we've had a couple or companies. Whatever. We've had a couple companies <laughs> that are like, "Hey, we had a Denver company that was like, hey, uh, had these uh, trail mix that was CBD." I was like, "I honestly, I can't." We've had hemp products in there, and I got some backlash for having a hemp product in there. Um, so we, liabilities and regulation, yeah, legality things know, too. Yeah, yeah. In the well, it was it's non THC though, non whatever, yeah. um, but. It's, you know, it's not worth doing. And we've had people that ask about paleo. We've had people that ask about, you know, gluten-free, the keto. And, like, honestly, we're not nearly big enough to be kicking out five different boxes for every dietary. So (laughs) I'm totally sorry if we don't meet your dietary restrictions. Uh, Shoot me an email and we'll give you a list of some good products to meet your dietary restrictions because we've done some blog posts on those. Uh, But at the end of the day, like there's, no, we just don't have, we don't have the bandwidth. Yeah. Can't cater to everybody right now at least. Well, that's very cool, man. I I love to hear about that and I'm glad to hear everything's going well with that, the podcast. And um, at some point I got to get up to Bozeman just to check it out. I've never, never been up that way and to Montana. So I've got some buddies that live up there as well. And, need to need to go visit them so i i just need to make it happen man link up with you for a beer up there be fun totally anytime well cool cody this has been uh really fun man i i really appreciate your time and and uh look forward to having you back on after the colorado hunt yeah absolutely (laughs) thanks for having me man all right and there we go another episode in the books big thanks to cody for coming on the show man that was that was really cool that was a lot of fun uh, thanks again, Cody, for coming on the show. That was great, and, and and best of luck this fall. It sounds like a really jam-packed season, and and I know you're going to come out with something good. I just know it. <laughs> well, I hope you guys enjoyed that too. I I was kind of hanging on to you know every word that Cody was saying. A lot of good knowledge, a lot of good advice, a lot of good inspiration too, and that's what it's all about. And I think that's what we need, especially this time of year, to hear some of this stuff and 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 and. and get us pumped up you know it's it's here so uh get after it i again i i wish everybody the most success i can't wait to start seeing some elk photos elk dropping on the ground and 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 hearing the stories and 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 seeing it all come through so um again reach out if you got a cool story you'd like to do something with the podcast i'd I'd love to have you on all right I appreciate you tuning in. Big thanks to our partners, Expedition Archery, Sculpture Coffee, and Outdoor Edge Knives. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon.